This is the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday, March 30th, 2021. I'm Coda Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins on 90.5 FM. On today's show, Ellie Shannon explains updates on the recent stabbing in University Village. And then I'll be discussing how mayoral candidate Gary Horak was accused of sexual harassment. After that, Jonathan Gillum will update us on CSU's athletics with basketball and soccer. And then you'll be hearing a conversation between Maddie Erskine and local musician Hotel Wi-Fi. Then, Jacob Selby tells us about how Congressman Joe Naguse proposed a federal assault rifle ban, and Ellison Hubbard gives us an in-depth look at our past year in football with some highlights from his most recent episode of In the Trenches with Ellison Hubbard. After that, I'll be giving new information on COVID-19, and Ivy gives new information on the ballot measure to decide the future of Hughes Stadium. To conclude the show, Cutter will be giving us updates on union shifts at Amazon, and I'll be explaining a strange situation involving grease, pennies, and a final check. Let's move right into campus and local news. Hey everyone, this is Ellie Shannon, and we are in our 11th week of classes here at Colorado State University. Saliva testing is still available through Ram Web, and tests can be done at Mac Gym in the Recreation Center, the Veterinary Teaching Hospital on South Campus, and the Moby Arena parking lot. A new program has been made on campus consisting of 20 students called Public Health Ambassadors. These ambassadors will be placed in high traffic areas on campus to remind students to follow five key health behaviors to practice in fighting sickness and disease. Wearing face coverings, practicing social distancing, keeping gatherings small, staying home when sick, and continuing to wash hands are the behaviors that are represented. Ali Raza and Tyler Alvarado are members of the Social Norming Task Force and now lead the Public Health Ambassadors. According to CSU's College News news writer Joe Giordano, Raza stated, quote, This is not a reaction to anything negative, but more of how can we continue to reinforce the five key behaviors? How can we continue to support our students? And more importantly, how are we getting students involved to lead these efforts? End quote. This program intends to help students think about supporting other students' health as well as their own. Sonali Diddy is an associate professor of Department of Design and Merchandising in the College of Health and Human Sciences and is currently conducting an interdisciplinary study to better understand the fashion industry's carbon footprint, according to Cyrus Martin of CSU's College News. The first phase of the study, which started in July of 2020, consisted of finding out fashion companies' impacts on the environment and analyze how eco-friendly these companies claim to be. The two-year study benefited from a grant from CSU School of Global Environmental Sustainability. More updates are to come on this. President Joyce McConnell shared an email on Monday morning sharing more details of the tragic stabbing that occurred last Wednesday night. The incident left one student injured and the suspect, an employee and recent alum, deceased. After the mass shooting incident that occurred in Boulder a week ago, and only two days before the stabbing, many are reeling from these events. McConnell wanted to reiterate her thanks to the student affairs team, CSU PD and other local local law enforcement, as well as members of the CSU community, all of which who have been working tirelessly to help support others. McConnell also wanted to state in the aftermath of Boulder that there are concerns that incidents of anti-Muslim or xenophobic biases will follow this tragedy, stating in her email, 
We will not allow hate to win or ignorance to be the dominant narrative, and that we are proud you are members of our RAND family. If anyone struggling with these events, they are encouraged to reach out to CSU Health Public Services, which offer a wide array of services. Students can visit health.colostate.edu slash mental health dash health dash resources. Make sure to tune in to the Rocky Mountain Review Tuesdays and Thursdays to hear Coda Babcock and Ivy Winfrey. Thanks for tuning in to my weekly newscast. I'm Ellie Shannon, and you're listening to KCSU on 90.5 FM. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is your local news for the day. A group of women, including two former city council members, have accused Fort Collins council member and current mayoral candidate Gary Horak of sexual harassment. According to J.C. Marmaduke and Pat Ferrier at the Fort Collins, Colorado, and Lisa Papa and Kristen Stevens, both former city council members who served with Horak from 2011 to 2015 and 2015 to 2019, respectively, said that he repeatedly made inappropriate and demeaning sexual remarks, typically at community functions when he had been drinking. They called his conduct, quote, the worst-kept secret in Fort Collins. Other witnesses interviewed by the Coloradoans separately detailed and confirmed the allegations by named sources, but asked to remain anonymous out of concern that their comments would harm their careers or personal lives. Horak denies most of the accusations, several of which involved sexually explicit language and comments about women's bodies or their appearance. Horak participated in an interview with the Coloradoan after reporters detailed specific accounts and invited his response. He said, quote, I didn't say those things. I don't talk that way. I don't think that way, end quote. Specific examples of Horak's alleged harassment shared with the Coloradoan occurred between 2011 and 2018, both while he served on the council and during his council candidacy. City manager Darren Attenberry said he spoke with Horak two or three times between 2013 and 2019 about comments he made that concerned or offended women, and provided records of two conversations with Horak to the Coloradoan. Attenberry declined to share detailed content of these conversations, quote, out of respect of the individuals involved, end quote. Mayor Wade Troxell says that he never spoke with Horak about his behavior, but he sees the city's respectful workplace policy, adopted in 2019, as a response to concerns about Horak's conduct. Horak suggests in an interview that Papa and Stevens' reasons for coming forward now are politically motivated, saying that people making the accusations are working for the candidates against him. Papa and Stevens have both endorsed and donated to mayoral candidate Jenny Ardent, but they said they aren't working for her campaign. Stevens said that, quote, There's no coincidence that these things come out during campaigns because they're relevant then. These stories relate to character when somebody is running for office. Otherwise, it's just a story about somebody who's retired from office, end quote. Stevens says that she hopes her choice to share her story publicly encourages women who experience harassment to do the same. One person was found dead in an old town Fort Collins house that caught fire late Sunday. According to Eric Larson at the Coloradoan, firefighters called to the home northeast of the intersection of Peterson and Locust Streets at 7.10 p.m. found an adult dead in the home where a fire was found in the basement, according to Pooter Fire Authority's post on Twitter. Firefighters found smoke and flames on the backside of the house and called a second alarm to bring additional firefighting crews to the home on the 800 block of Peterson Street. PFA spokesperson Annie Beerbower said that two other residents of the home were not present at the time of the fire and no other injuries occurred. 
The home sustained extensive smoke damage, but the fire was largely contained to the kitchen and floor below. Investigators remained on scene at 9.45 p.m. as firefighting crews began to clear out. The identity of the individual has not yet been released. Colorado Governor Jared Polis has announced that the state will be expanding access to vaccinations to the general public on Friday, April 2nd. According to Wilson Beast at 9 News, Coloradoans aged 16 and up will be eligible for the Pittsburgh vaccine, and those 18 and up will also be eligible for the Moderna and Johnson & Johnson vaccines. Polis says that it is currently projected that all Coloradoans who want a COVID-19 vaccine will receive it in about 6 to 8 weeks by mid to late May. Polis made sure to warn that, quote, just because we're opening it to all of Colorado doesn't mean they'll get it that first weekend, end quote. When asked about the statewide mask mandate, Polis said Colorado is moving towards more localized enforcement of COVID restrictions, and that the state is targeting April 16th to start handing over those decisions to local commissioners and mayors. Polis says that Colorado and seven, ages 70 and older, and to a lesser extent those age 60 and older, will continue to be prioritized in the vaccination process, while also announcing that 70% of Colorado and 60 and older have been vaccinated. Overall, over 1,579 million Coloradoans have been vaccinated with a first dose, and over 999,000 have been fully vaccinated. My name is Abby Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Coming up next is the RMR Sports Report. Stay tuned. I can't deal listening to the same three songs anymore. Take out your phone and let me put you on to something different. Which is? KCSU. The student-run radio station at CSU makes it easy. They're on the TuneIn app, or you can stream them live on kcsufm.com and browse some of their articles or podcasts. What if my phone is from ninth grade? <laughs> Can I still get TuneIn? You can find TuneIn on Google Play or the App Store. Put some variety on your playlist, only at KCSU. What's up, KCSU's listeners? It's me, John McGillum, for KCSU Sports, and I got your Tuesday afternoon sports update. Let's start with the weekend. Last Friday, track and field had an invite in Pueblo, and I'll say two of CSU's members placed. Moving forward, women's soccer played Air Force and won. One, two, nothing. Uh, track and field continued their invite in Pueblo. Men's golf had their invitational in Littleton. And men's basketball in the National Invitation Tournament lost 67-90 versus Memphis. 
Volleyball beat Utah State 3-1. And women's tennis was canceled. Um, softball ended up playing some games. They won their first matchup against New Mexico 3-2. And then lost 6-7. Moving on to Sunday. Men's basketball then played the consolation bracket. And they lost to Louisiana Tech in a heartbreaking fashion. 74 to 76. Uh, women's soccer played Colorado College and tied 1 to 1. Softball ended up winning their three game series, winning the third game 8 to 6 on Sunday. And women's tennis was canceled again. And that's all I got for you. Stay tuned Thursday for the upcoming games and all the action. If you're missing other great sports contact, just a reminder. We have several sports shows Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, 7 to 9 p.m. We also have great content available at kcsufm.com. For KCSU Sports, I'm Jonathan Gillum, and I'll catch you next time. My name is Maddie Erskine, and today I have local musician Jackson Smith, also known as Hotel Wi-Fi, in the studio. Thank you for joining me. Jay, if you want to introduce yourself really quick... Hello, uh, my name is Jackson. I use she, they pronouns. So we're going to start off with a live song. This is Athena's Theme by Hotel Wi-Fi. Cool.
KCSU, you just heard Athena's theme live here by Hotel Wi-Fi. Thank you for joining me today, Jay. I feel like the name Hotel Wi-Fi fits your solo project just perfectly. So what was the inspiration behind choosing that name? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, back in like, like junior or senior year of high school, um, there was just a, I don't know, I was just had a list of band names that I thought were cool. Um, and the day came where I just decided to um, uh, just like pick one of them and start a music project. And I went with that one probably because it's like self-deprecating in a way because hotel Wi-Fi literally sucks. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so your project, I mean, hotel Wi-Fi, it's grown quite a lot over the years um, from being just a solo to having like a full band going along with it. Do you want to just talk a bit about how it's changed? Yeah. The momentum is pretty crazy. Um, it started back in high school as like kind of a recording project in my bedroom. It's since then, um, especially recently since I've, um, I've gotten more into the DIY scene in Fort Collins. I've met a lot of cool musicians that, uh, they all happen to want to join my band, which is pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, since then, um, we've been playing bigger shows and stuff and, yeah, um, it's 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 pretty crazy. Uh, what are some of the f your favorite shows that you've played in the past, uh, both with your bigger band and just like individually before then? Yeah, um, our first show as a band at the Laundry Room, which had a much bigger turnout than I expected. I remember that I could not walk anywhere. You had to yeah. like wiggle your way through to get any anywhere. It was just very <laughs> very yeah. crowded. Yeah, it was pre-COVID. <laughs> pretty much, yeah, it was crazy. Um that was like right before COVID hit too. Um and yeah, there was like a much bigger turnout than expected. Dry Ice and Florida de Luna, uh they killed it earlier in the night. Yeah, it was it was really cool and I feel like it's partially uh, partially responsible for why I have a following now. So, yeah, well, I think that those house shows are like the best for that, too, because it builds like a very like authentic and like real community because like they're in Fort Collins and they're here and they're they're ready to show up a lot of the time. And so it's it's definitely a good way to get some exposure. Right. Yeah, um, definitely. For sure. Um, yeah. Uh, I hope they're doing all right right now. Yeah. Uh, and I hope some of them can at least open back up after, yeah. after COVID. And then you also played the drive-in, correct? Yeah, that was crazy because um, uh, Greta from Bohemian, I believe, uh, uh, she called me out of the blue and asked me to do one of the drive-in shows because I think it was AM Pleasure Assassins who uh, recommended me, mm -hmm. uh, which is really cool. That was a cool experience to play on that big of a stage and yeah even if it was just a drive-in show it was it was it was really cool the queen is dead uh which is my favorite song of yours actually uh, i just think cool. it's very lyrically gorgeous and 
would love to know a little bit more about what you were thinking when you wrote it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a darker song. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of about a genderqueer death fantasy, uh, fantasy. Kind of just, like, sort of sad because, like, there's, like, a lot of, like, trans people who sometimes get misgendered at funerals. And I just kind of took that and, like, made sort of just a happier, like, version of it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Is there anything else you'd like to let listeners know before we wrap it up? There is a show that I am playing with King Crawdad at The Lyric on April 11th. And long term, there's an album coming soon. That's super exciting. Awesome. Well, thank you all listeners for tuning in. If you missed any part of this session, do not worry because it will be up on our website, kcsufm.com. I'm Maddie Erskine, local music director, and thank you all for tuning in to 90.5. Support for KCSU comes from the Lisa Rinkjob Agency Incorporated with American Family Insurance. With offices located in Fort Collins and Greeley, protection, peace of mind, and trust has been their priority since 1992. Learn more about Lisa Rinkjob Agency Incorporated and American Family Insurance at lisarinkjob at ampfam.com. Hello, you're listening to KCSU Four Collins 90.5 FM. I'm Jacob Selby, and these are the national news highlights for Tuesday, March 30th. In Egypt, a massive container ship that had been blocking the Suez Canal has finally been freed. According to Jacqueline Diaz of NPR News, the massive vessel which had been blocking the canal for more than a week was freed on Monday, allowing international shipping traffic to begin again. According to the shipping authorities, two separate attempts to refloat the vessel had been attempted over the weekend, but both failed. The ship, which is known as the Ever Given, is operated by international shipping giant Evergreen. It had been stuck in the Suez Canal since last Tuesday and massively disrupted international trade around the world. The cause of the ship getting stuck in the canal remains unknown, but high winds may have been to blame. The Ever Given was freed from the canal at around 3 p.m. locally in Egypt. Fortunately, the ship's propeller and rudder remained fully operational, which means the ship moved under its own power from the canal. The ship relocated from the canal to Great Bitter Lake, where it faces inspection for damage before making its way back into international waters. In the meantime, the massive backlog of traffic began to cross the canal so that international trade may resume. The backlog to cross the canal peaked at around 400 ships, attempting to make their way from the Mediterranean to the Red Sea or the opposite. The entire issue continues to stress global supply chains, which were already hurt due to the global pandemic. Experts in economics are estimating that the blockage costs the global economy in excess of $10 billion per day. Areas in the Middle East, such as Syria, have also begun rationing resources such as fuel 
as their supply chains come to a halt. Other experts are warning that the price of e-commerce goods in the U.S. may still increase dramatically as the stock of certain items begins to dry up while a week's worth of global commerce is forced to catch up with demand. Representative Joe Neguse of Colorado is pushing for a federal assault weapons ban in the wake of multiple mass shootings in Georgia and Colorado. According to Carla Jimenez of CPR News, Neguse, whose district represents the area of Boulder where the King Super shooting, which killed 10 people last week, occurred, has put his full support behind reinstating the federal assault weapons ban. The ban lasted from 1994 to 2004 and restricted many aspects of guns, including features related to the appearance and function of semi-automatic weapons. These limitations included, but were not limited to, accessories on firearms, such as pistol grips and bayonet lugs, and restricted the importation of foreign-produced firearms which did not serve a sporting purpose as defined by the ATF. Nagus says his constituents are angry at the federal government for passing on its responsibility to regulate firearms down to the local level. This means that even if a state like Colorado passed a gun control measure such as restricting assault-style weapons, there would be nothing stopping someone from going to a neighboring state to buy the outlawed category of gun and bring it back into Colorado to commit a gun crime. This problem has been seen with Colorado magazine capacity restrictions, which have largely been unenforced due to the amount of contraband magazines which may make their way into Colorado from neighboring states, or which are illegally sold under the counter in gun shops and on the black market trade inside Colorado. However, critics have pointed out that some of the most infamous mass shootings in U.S. history occurred during the assault weapons ban, such as the Columbine shooting and the North Hollywood shootout, and the ban did little to stop these events from occurring. Nagoose has shown support for the measures which would close the gun show loophole, which allows people in some states the ability to buy a firearm without a background check on the honor system. The House already passed the measure, and the bill has made its way to the United States Senate. However, it is unclear if the bill will pass due to almost universal opposition from Senate Republicans. The shooting in Colorado has stirred national controversy, and many Americans are now seeking an end to gun violence in our country. However, gun control remains a dividing and controversial issue in the United States, and it is unclear how or if federal regulation regarding the sale and possession of military-grade firearms will change in any meaningful way in the near future. As mass vaccinations across the world continue to escalate, public health officials are warning that there is still a high likelihood of a fourth wave of COVID-19 taking hold. According to Ariel Metropolis of ABC News, Health officials are warning that despite the growing number of vaccinated individuals increasing in the country every day, now is not the time to let up on COVID safety and protocols. Health officials warn that if we let our guard down too quickly, it is likely the United States could face a fourth mass wave of infections. The total number of dead from COVID currently stands at 550,000. This is equivalent to 125 times the total number of U.S. military deaths in the war in Iraq, or nearly 14 times the total number of U.S. military deaths in the Korean War. However, experts are saying that because of the volume of people who have been vaccinated, a fourth wave of the virus could be characterized by fewer deaths and hospitalizations than the previous three. The U.S. began to see a sharp increase in COVID-19 cases recently, with the rate of new infections currently standing at 60,000 per day nationally. The government warns that in order to avoid future shutdowns, continued economic consequences, and mass casualties, people should continue to follow COVID-19 protocols until further notice.
That's all for the national news highlights. I'm Jacob Selby, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins 90.5 FM. This past year has brought some interesting challenges, and KCSU wants to hear your voice. Looking back at the past year, how do you think universities could have handled COVID-19 better? Let us know by leaving a voicemail at 970-491-2388 with your thoughts for the chance to be featured on 90.5 KCSU. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to In the Trenches with me, Ellison Hubbard. So today, I wanted to switch it up a little bit. I wanted to talk about the life of a D-lineman during last year's pandemic, even though it's still ongoing. In the heart of that pandemic, there were defensive linemen that had to go through a tremendous amount of stuff besides football. You know, you had to figure out how to grind in the spring without football and then you had to come back in the summer and kind of figure out how to work out social distance and then you come into a season that was so unpredictable today i'm going to interview a freshman from massachusetts cam barito he had to go through this worse than any other i would say any other grade pretty much don't you think cam yeah definitely it was definitely a change first game yeah you know you're coming here as a freshman, you you don't know anything about what goes on on the campus or what the football's like, especially getting a new head coach that you probably didn't even really talk to, huh? You know, you you were with Bobo, right? Or kind of with that? Uh, no, well, actually, um, I talked to Adazio before okay. I came here. That's okay. where I got the offer from and came here. Okay, okay. I was wrong on that. But, you know, it was, it was different. You know, you come here and you think, okay, I'm going to be here at the start of the summer. Really, you're sitting at home, social distancing and quarantining. Take me through your spring going into the summer. Kind of when, when, when quarantine hit and when COVID shut everything down, explain to me how you had, you know, how you got to work out, how you got out there and get yourself ready for football. So it was definitely a change. I mean, in the spring when everything shut down, you know, you couldn't go to the gym or anything. I was kind of just in my room, like, just making up workouts, doing push-ups, anything you could do. Yeah. Um. Eventually, one of my friends, he had some weights at his house. So, I mean, he gave me some. And, like I, I, like I said, I was doing what I could do. I was doing push-ups with a 45-pound plate, doing sit-ups. But there was, like, nothing open. Um. I was honestly, I was worried because, like, I was, like, I'm, I'm coming to, to school and – I can't really go to the gym or anything before I come, and I'm supposed to come in the summer ready to go. So that was definitely nerve-wracking for me, Yeah, just things like that. Yeah, because for me, I know I, we were making up all types of workouts, doing push-ups, sit-ups, trying to stay in shape and not be sloppy. And and we even got outside and tried to run a little bit, even though I really dreaded that. We, we still tried to get outside and get some workouts in so we're not sloppy coming into the summer, you know. So – for you, 
I know I was already in college and already was playing a season. You weren't even here yet. So before the pandemic, how did it go for you before getting hit by that? You know, how was your season getting recruited here? Before the pandemic, it was pretty good. I actually went to a prep school. So it was kind of like a mini college experience. You know, you live in a dorm and stuff like that. So I was kind of used to college life already before being in college. Um, but when, I, when the pandemic hit and everything and I finally got here, it was just everything was like a step back. Like everything was different. You had to learn new things to do, like social distancing and having a mask on everywhere you go. Yeah, it was very scary. Like my parents going to work every day. I was worrying about them. Like hopefully they don't get sick. Exactly. Especially when it first happened, it was just like, it, it was just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Cause for me, my parents are in Georgia. And so <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. You guys are going to work. Fortunately for my mom, she got to work at home, but my dad had to go to work and he's 56. It's kind of scary, you know, for him going out and, you know, possibly catching COVID and, and all those people being in the hospital. And whatnot at that age is kind of hard to be taken care of. So for you, when summer hit, when did you come in the summer? Uh, I want to say we came around the end of June, I the, believe. Yeah, end of June. Because usually for us, when when it's normal, you're coming like the second week of June. Yeah, possibly even the first week. So when you came at that end of June, did you feel like you were ready for whatever they had in store? Uh, honestly, I I. Really didn't think I was ready at all. That's why I was nervous. I was even telling my parents about it. Um, I was just, I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And like, even the first week we got here, we had to do COVID tests, everything. So we didn't really do with, uh, any workouts or anything for a few days. But yeah. When we got into them, I was, the the coaches were good about it though. Like they, they gradually moved us along and got us into it. So that was good about that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know COVID testing, getting the nasal swab, that didn't feel good <laughs> that at was all. Not like, fun. Yeah. So, then I remember you have all of these allegations and, and stuff like that. How did you feel? Because, you know, you don't expect to come to college and, oh, my gosh, my school's under fire. The football team's under fire. The AD or whatever the case may be is under fire. I, what was that experience for you? I, I just jam in here that my experience is, you know, I've been here for four years and then, or three years, and I never had somebody you know get under fire about racial allegations or whatever the case may be so i know for you that was a whole world changer right there right yeah it just kind of came out of nowhere i was i was confused when i when i saw everything come out about it and like it came in the middle of covid too so that really just messed everything up exactly yeah so it was just it was it was crazy yeah it was it was definitely crazy you have guys who didn't feel comfortable with the protocols and then you know, the racial allegations came randomly out of nowhere, especially for me. We we had meetings and stuff to talk about, you know, where did this come from? Who is feeling this way and not speaking to us? You know, if it was a freshman, they could talk to us. We're not, you know, it, it was stuff like that that were just going through our heads. And, and I kind of want to transition out of that more into just the football aspect because this is what we're talking about. So you play defensive line. Yep. And for you – Learning that that defensive line stuff from a coach you you uh, you know comes from that area that you live in was that easier for you or harder for you? Um, it was a little bit of both. I mean, we in high school we had a small team, so I didn't really get to do much individual defensive line drills. Mm -hmm. So coming here, I mean, a lot of the drills were very new to me. 
Um, took a little while to get picked up on, but you know, after a while, it felt better like do, going through drills and everything. And just Coach Smith's a great coach, so he, he helped us through it, pushed us through it. You know, just coached us up. Yeah, yeah. And I know he's a tough guy, very <laughs> getting in your in your face guy, but it pushes you to be better than what you thought you were. Yeah, it you makes know. you want to do do better. Exactly. So when when that summer hit and you said you got here in June, you were getting COVID tests, you couldn't really do anything. When you started doing things, what was that like for you? Um, It was still, it was just awkward because, mm-hmm. like, everything, like I said, the six feet and the mask and everything, like, nothing was still the same. Um, It was... More like we'd go out, like, say, outside or something. Like, we go tubing one time with a few of the friends on the team. Just stuff like that where we can social distance and, and have fun at the same time. I can still remember to this day, you you had workouts upstairs where the concessions are. Yeah. And then you're running outside with one other person or or it'd be groups of six, maybe. You're just running and then you go home. And yeah. that's it. You grab your drinks and you and you leave out the building, no food, no nothing. So that was a whole different world right there. And then even coming into into fall, when you heard about there might not be a season, how did you feel? It, it definitely it hurt because, I mean, I just see, especially the older guys, like how much work they've been putting in leading up to the season and stuff. And, you know, all that talk came along like, oh, if we don't have a season, what's going to happen with them? Are they going to get an extra year of eligibility? So it was just really tough for everyone and mm-hmm. a lot to take in. Yeah. And then when they hit you in late October – saying oh, there's going to be a season were you were your was your mindset ready were you expecting yourself to get in the game at least in when the season was uh back on um yeah I knew um I mean coming in I'm a freshman so I wouldn't really uh get much playing time this year it was yeah. more of a learning year for me um there's like great guys like you Manny Toby you know all the older guys Scott I can just learn and uh coach Smith can help me with it but, um, yeah, when they said we were having a season, I was just like, oh, like, okay, it's time to go. Yeah. Um, we, we had a, what, a couple weeks of workouts. Exactly. And then we and just got right camp, into it. You know, yeah, we just got right into it. Fall camp was a, a different situation. It was like three weeks maybe. It, yeah. it felt like forever, honestly. Yeah. Did you feel did you feel like it was tough in those weeks before the season started? Um. Yeah, it was definitely tough, uh, especially before they even said we were going to play. I, we were also locked down for a little while, so I was just sitting in my room, yeah, nothing. Like there was nothing to do, so that was really hard. I know. It, it, I we rest. I don't even think restaurants were like fully open to letting people come in and eat. I know you could. You had to go outside. You and could eat. eat outside. Yeah, but you couldn't even like go in and sit down with your friends. Explain to me the dining hall situations as you were living in Braden, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. uh You'd, like, go in, swipe your card, and they just have a line. Like, you'd go in, tell them what you want. They'd give you your food. Everybody had to stay in line six feet apart. Um, you couldn't touch anything. They'd hand everything to you. Then you'd go over, grab a drink or if you want or anything, and then you're out the door. It was just, like, a straight. Like, wow. You couldn't stay in there or anything. And that was for, like, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? Yeah, correct. Oh, my gosh. Because I remember back in my early years as a freshman, we are eating – up at Academic Village, and you're just going in there getting as many plates as you want. And that was not the same. You know, I, I wish you were to be able to experience a season like I did, but you now have your sophomore year coming up to where you're able to play, you know, teams like Vandy, Iowa, 
you know, I wish you were playing CU. That is a huge game. Got my first sack in that game. That was huge as a freshman. But, you know, you still have a chance to be able to, you know, bring bring out that freshman year into your sophomore year, basically, and still be hyped that, oh, yes, I got my first sack against whoever that is. It's still your first sack. So, I, again, I just thank you. You you have anything else you need to say or want to say? I just want to thank you for having me. And, um... Well, you heard it there from Cam Barito, the freshman from Massachusetts, now on the Colorado State defensive line. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Go get paid. KCSU listeners, our biannual DJ-a-thon fundraiser is April 5th through the 10th. You count on KCSU to provide the most entertaining radio. We provide the chance for students to become reporters, radio hosts, freelance producers, and creators. In turn, you get to hear more great content come out of 90.5. KCSU for Collins. Want to support student creators and your future content? Call 970-491-5278 or donate online at kcsufm.com slash donate. This past year has brought some interesting challenges and KCSU wants to hear your voice. Looking back at the past year, how do you think universities could have handled COVID-19 better? Let us know by leaving a voicemail at 970-491-2388 with your thoughts for the chance to be featured on 90.5 KCSU. Hello, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. On April 6th of this year, Fort Collins residents will be voting on a ballot measure to decide the future of the Hughes Stadium site. In the interest of informing the public so you can make an educated voting decision, we've prepared this segment to tell you the important facts of the matter. The ballot measure asks Fort Collins voters if the city should attempt to purchase the 165-acre site from the Colorado State University system and zone it is 100% open land space. The two parts of the ballot measure would be carried out concurrently, and the ballot measure cannot force CSU to sell its land. Fort Collins would be expected to try and purchase it for fair market value, preventing a scenario where the city would be obligated to pay an elevated price for the land. Citizen Group Paths which is short for Planning Action to Transform Hughes Sustainably, got a measure on the ballot after collecting more than 8,300 signatures from registered voters in the city limits. PATHS uh, representatives told the Coloradoan the zoning aspect of the ballot measure is their key focus. Two issue committees have been formed in connection with the Hughes ballot measure, Friends of Hughes Open Space, which is affiliated with PATHS, and Stand with CSU, which has ties with Citizens for a Sustainable Economy, a group affiliated with the Fort Collins Area Chamber of Commerce. First, let's discuss those on the yes side of the ballot measure. PATHS representatives and proponents of the ballot measure say that Hughes' site has unique preservation value because of its proximity to the foothills and the city's Maxwell and Pine Ridge natural areas. 
Creating a larger contiguous open space could provide a migration path for deer, coyotes, and other mammals to move between the foothills and lower elevation areas, said Mark D. Gregorio, retired uh, conservation education director at Rocky Mountain National Park and longtime representative on Larimer County's Parks and Open Lands Advisory Boards. He is not a member of PATHS. He added that the area has already started to bounce back since the stadium's demolition, and that it could ultimately be a home of a variety of plant species, nesting birds, prairie dogs, and raptors. Many proponents of the ballot measure would like to see few acres of the land used as a location for the Northern Colorado Wildlife Center, which has been searching for a piece of land to use for wildlife rehabilitation. Now, for the no side of the ballot measure. CSU isn't officially opposing the ballot measure, but its plan for the land is clearly at odds with PATH's vision. The proposed development takes an all-or-above approach, including about 70 acres of non-continuous open space on the 165-acre property, as well as a transit center, child care facility, urgent care center, and commercial space. The open space would include the existing Aggie Greens Disc Golf Course, a new community park, and an undeveloped area on the west edge of the property. The affordable units would be income-restricted and designed to meet housing needs for CSU's lower-income employees who make less than 80% of the area median income, said Brent Anderson, Special Assistant to CSU Chancellor Tony Frank. CSU has also discussed giving employees the first opportunity to purchase the homes for sale on the site. Stand with CSU, the issue committee opposing the ballot measure said in a statement the negatives of the measure far outweigh any possible benefits. The statement reads, quote, Fort Collins has a housing affordability problem. CSU is planning to build attainable housing on this property that would be lost. The Fort Collins Board of Realtors opposes the ballot's measure and supports CSU's development proposal because it would get the city closer to its affordable housing goal, reduce vehicle commuting by CSU's employees who currently drive to campus, and increase alternative forms of transit in the community, and provide community benefits to the west side of town. CSU's commitment to its development plan raises the distinct possibility that the university system won't be willing to sell its land, and besides, opponents of the ballot measure point out that the city and CSU already tried and failed to strike a deal. Zoning the land as open space would mean that CSU would miss out on the $14 million it expects to make from the development. The result of the ballot measure, then, could be not a large new open space, but rather a lawsuit funded by taxpayers. Fort Collins Natural Areas Department previously recommend, uh, recommended against the city attempt to purchase the site, citing high price and proximity of other natural areas that provide wildlife habitat and recreation opportunities for residents. It would cost an estimated $3.5 to $4 million to return the land to a state of natural vegetation and build a trail loop, bathroom, parking lot, and other infrastructure, the city estimates. The resulting price tag would leave the city low on funds to spend on land acquisition for parks and open space in other parts of the city and county. Information for this segment was collected from the Colorado newspaper and the City of Fort Collins website. Again, I'm Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. Fort 
Cons Bike Co-op is an organization whose mission is to build community through bicycling. They provide the tools and expertise to help fix up any bike, new or old. Hours of operation are Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays, 2 to 5 p.m., and Sunday from noon to 6 p.m. For more information, check out their Facebook page, For Collins Bike Co-op, or email info at fcbikecoop.org. And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Coda Babcock, and you just heard information on the ballot measure to decide the future of Hughes Stadium. Now, for tech news updates. Hackers broke into the email accounts of the former Trump administration's head of Department of Homeland Security, along with other cybersecurity staff. According to Alan Sutterman of the Associated Press, the SolarWinds hack is believed to be connected to Russia. Following the SolarWinds intrusions, many other hacking schemes attempted to target U.S. citizens, including a breach that involved thousands of Microsoft Exchange users, and another that unsuccessfully tried to poison a Florida town's water supply. Vote counting for Amazon's union starts this week for one Alabama warehouse. According to Alina Siluk at National Public Radio, many consider this union election to be historic and one of the most consequential in recent years. Voting ended Monday for about 5,800 employees working in the warehouse located in Bessemer, Alabama, and this is the first union election in years for Amazon, which employs 800,000 workers and is the second largest private employer in the United States. Endorsement for Amazon's unionization came from major politicians like President Biden, Republican Senator Marco Rubio from Florida, and celebrities like Danny Glover. This warehouse's union election brings the issue of labor unions to other Amazon warehouses, as well as workers at regional auto manufacturers in the South. Amazon actively fought against unionization in recent years, claiming that they don't represent worker opinions accurately and are therefore unnecessary to Amazon. That's all for tech news. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. We'll be right back with weird news, so stay tuned to KCSU Fort Collins on 90.5 FM. Yo, this song slaps. Who is this? Glass cases, and they're local. Yo, this slaps. Who is this? Plasma candles, they're local too. Yo, dude, this freaking slaps. Like, who is this? This is Zerk, and I know they're local. Your new favorite band is right in your backyard. Find them here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This past year has brought some interesting challenges, and KCSU wants to hear your voice. Looking back at the past year, how do you think universities could have handled COVID-19 better? Let us know by leaving a voicemail at 970-491-2388 with your thoughts for the chance to be featured on 90.5 KCSU. Hello, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Sometimes we need to get a little bit weird with it, so here's a couple of the weirdest stories I've found from around the world today. A Georgia man received his final paycheck in the form of 90,000 grease-covered pennies dumped in his driveway. According to the Associated Press, Andreas Flatten says that his former co- uh, employer owed him $915 for his last paycheck after leaving his job, but he faced issues receiving that at first. Flatten said he left his job at Peachtree City's AOK Walker Auto Works in November. He said his employer still owed the final check and he had difficulty getting it, even turning to the Georgia Department of Labor to receive help. 
In mid-March, Flatten said as he left his house with his girlfriend, he noticed a pile at the end of his driveway. He said the pennies were covered in some sort of oily substance. Now his nightly routine consists of cleaning the pennies so he can cash them in. He said it took him about an hour and a half to clean off several hundred. Flatten says that, quote, I think that's going to be a lot of work for money I've already worked for. It's definitely not fair at all, end quote. The owner of the shop, Miles Walker, spoke with WGCL-TV briefly, stating that he didn't know if he did or didn't drop the pennies. Say, uh, Walker told this TV station, quote, I don't really remember. It doesn't matter. He got paid. That's all that matters, end quote. The 1993 video game Doom could theoretically be powered by 16 billion crabs, based on data from a recent study. According to Olivia Harris at Screen Rant, back in 2011, a group of scientists published a paper in the journal Complex Systems 20, describing the use of soldier crabs moving through plastic structures to create logic gates. Logic gates are the machinery inside computers that allow them to store and transmit information. Ethan Mollick, a professor at the Warden School of University of Pennsylvania, theorized that if enough crabs were used to implement enough logic gates, there'd be enough memory to run the 1993 version of Doom. Mollick bases this on the idea that it equates to eight logic gates in a byte, with 80 soldier crabs needed to run a single gate. That means that running Doom would take a combined effort of over 16 billion soldier crabs. This specific number was actually calculated not by Moloch, but by Twitter user at Normal Horoscopes. Additionally, a computer made of crabs might not even be the lowest tech device that Doom has run on before. It has become an internet trend for people to figure out how to run the video game Doom on every piece of hardware possible, spawning its own subreddit called r slash itrunsdoom. Over the years, the 1993 version of Doom has been proven to run on many different pieces of hardware, including smart fridges, pregnancy tests, ATMs, graphics calculators, Apple Watches, a MacBook Touch Bar, a Sony KI-800i, a 1998 Kodak DC-260, and even inside Doom itself. Simon Toast Crunch says they are, quote, investigating after a viral post claimed a customer found shrimp tails in the cereal. According to KCTV 5 News, writer and producer Jensen Karp claimed mid-March that he found what appeared to be shrimp tails in his cereal, which he bought from Costco. This post has since gone viral. Karp accused the company of gaslighting him when they initially replied that it appears to be an acclimation of cinnamon sugar. He said he'd be taking the cereal to be tested in a lab. After the initial viral tweet, Cinnamon Toast Crunch tweeted a statement saying the matter is being investigated, but, quote, we can say with confidence that this did not occur at our facility, end quote. Scientists offered to do DNA testing on the sample found in the cereal. That's all the weird news I have for today. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU News. And now, for the weather. Today, Fort Collins saw some clouds starting to leave, along with the warm temperatures Fort Collins saw this weekend, leaving us with a high of 41 and a low of 23, moderate winds as well. 
Wednesday, things will warm back up a bit to a high of 52 and a low of 29. Sunny skies, no chance of rain, and about some the same moderate wind speeds as today. Thursday, temperatures will continue to warm up to the mid-60s with a high of 66 and a low of 37. Sunny skies and no chance of rain. And for Friday, you'll have to tune in this Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m. for our next episode of the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Cutta Babcock, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. Information for this segment comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Thomas Taylor, Asher Corin, Stephanie Keel, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Elliot Hutchinson, Matt Guzmarati, Maddie Erskine, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Sam Bailey, Sam Benefe, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandal, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mount State Media. We couldn't do this without you. Yeah, I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time.